if you're a visitor this morning and you're kind of new to this church and you're thinking what these crazy people doing with bricks and things like that, we've been in a season as a church where we've been thinking about breakthrough um, and then we really felt and experienced real breakthrough as a church. So then after that, we said, okay, so if you break through, you've then got to move beyond the walls, whatever the walls of restriction are in your own life or as a community. Um, you know, we've got to move beyond that at some point. So in the last few weeks, we've been looking at beyond the wall and we've looked at what does it mean to live beyond the wall. Okay, we've looked at living beyond the walls of our family. What does it mean to adopt? What does it mean to foster? What does it mean to open up our home to other people? We've looked at living beyond the walls of disappointment. We've looked at living beyond the walls of yourself, okay, and your own circles that you draw around yourself. And when we actually planned this series uh, a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, maybe, um, whenever it was, uh, and we all sat around and we prayed and we talked about it, and I had this curveball idea about, wouldn't it be great to do this theme? Nobody ever speaks about this subject, and I thought, I'd like to do that. Seemed a good idea at the time, so that's what we did. And now, of course, I come to prepare it, I thought, what on earth was I thinking about? What a muppet. This is a really, really difficult subject to talk about. And, um, you know, it, it, it's actually, if you lived in Victorian Britain, okay, or the Victorian world, in the Western world anyway, you wouldn't talk about certain things, okay? It wasn't etiquette to talk about religion, money, or sex. Now, 100 or so years later, we talk about religion, money, and sex all the time, but we still don't talk about this one subject. Nobody talks about this subject much and the subject I want to talk to you about today is death. See, I thought it was a good idea at the time, and now we've come to look at it, you see. I want to talk about this theme which I've called Beyond the Grave, Beyond the Grave. And I'm aware, I'm really aware that this is going to be really difficult for many of us in this room, okay? And especially as we're coming up towards the Christmas season, when thinking about death and thinking about grief and thinking about all these things is really painful. We really, really understand that, okay? But I want you to stick with me. We're going to look at this subject and hopefully God is going to show us some things about this issue. Why do we find it so difficult to talk about death? We can talk about anything these days. Okay, You just switch the media on at any point. You think, oh my goodness, look at what they're talking about. A few generations ago, you'd never talk about that like that. But we talk about everything now with social media. Everything's out there. But we still don't really talk about death. And we don't really talk about what's beyond it. I think we don't talk about it because it's awkward. It's really awkward. In fact, some years ago, I was doing a funeral service, and there was a service here, um, and then it went on to the crematorium, and uh, an old fella came to the, to the service, and um, uh, he, he was, at the end of the service, he came up to me, and he was a little bit flustered, because he wanted to go to the crematorium, didn't know where it was, and he said, I've got one of these NatSav things, can you help me? I said, I think you mean a sat-nav. Um, so we programmed it in for him, where the crematorium was, we gave it to him, and off we went. Then I went to the crematorium, and I'm doing the service, and I noticed that the guy wasn't there. Only halfway through the service, he wandered in. He was late, even though he'd had a sat-nav. And he sat down in the middle, bless his heart. And his sat-nav was obviously in his suit pocket. Because literally, when I said, let's pray, you all know where it's going. When I said, let's pray, the sat-nav, and I am not lying or exaggerating, the sat-nav said, you have arrived at your final destination. <laughs> it's awkward, isn't it? It's awkward in that moment, do you know what I mean? <laughs> Everyone was like looking up, you know what I mean? And I'm like, it wasn't me, I didn't say it. 
But you know, my, my favorite story, my favorite story, and I've told this before, so forgive me if I have, but I just, there isn't a better story than this. I love this story. It's a story of a few years ago when email kind of first came in, and, and there's a couple living in Chicago in the Midwest of America where it gets very cold at wintertime, and the guy says, I'm fed up. I want to, let's just go to Florida for a couple of days holiday, okay? Wife says, let's do that, but I'm busy. She's got businesses. You go on ahead, get checked in at the hotel, and then I'll join you the day after. So that's what he does. So when he checks in at the hotel in Florida, really enjoying it, sends an email to his wife, okay, just to d- describe that he's got checked in and that you know, she's coming, etc. But he gets a, a, a wrong letter in the email type and it arrives at somebody else's computer. And it arrives at a lady whose husband had died the previous day. He was a minister, so she is a, is a minister's widow now. Just the day before, she goes into the, into the office, she switches the computer on. This message comes to her. She screams and faints. A family hear the noise and they come running in and there on the screen, they see this message from the other guy that she's received. The message says this, checked in, all is ready for your arrival tomorrow. (laughs) P.S. It sure is hot down here. It's awkward, isn't it? It's awkward. (laughs) But you know, but it's not only awkward... It's not only awkward to talk about death, it's unfamiliar as well. Here's an interesting statistic I read recently, in fact, just this last week. In World War I, okay, if you were 16 at the start of World War I, you had probably seen, on average, six dead bodies by the age of 16. Now, 100 years later, by the age of 50, it's very common that you haven't ever seen a dead body. So we're unfamiliar with the whole issue of death. We don't know how to process it. We don't know what to do with it. And it happens to us and it happens around us and all of that and it impacts us, but we still don't really know how to talk about it. And so what we do as a generation, I think our culture is massive in this. We are the great pretender generation when it comes to death. We do all we can to put it off. So we color our hair and we get surgery and we insulate against it and we protect and we deny and we buy motorbikes and we try and do this and we try, we're trying to put off the inevitable that we're all getting older and one day we're all going to die. Who's glad they came to church this morning? That's exciting, isn't it? Yeah? But that's the truth. That's the truth. So it's, it's awkward and it's unfamiliar and also it's upsetting. Woody Allen, the director and, and comedy actor, he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Because it's like it's upsetting. But whether we admit it or not, whether we pretend or not, whether we try and put it off or not, the ultimate statistic is this. One out of every one of us is eventually going to die. How do we get and come to terms with this? And my question is this. Is, is death the end or is there life beyond the grave? Is death the end or is there life beyond the grave? This is a question that's gripped the minds of the greatest thinkers in human history. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, feared death. He said this, it appears to be the end of everything. Jean-Paul Sartre, a French philosopher, he asserted that death removes all meaning from life. Another French philosopher, Francois Rabelais, said his last words on his deathbed apparently were this, I am going to the great perhaps. Wow. I am going to the great Perhaps. And you know, uh, our faith, Christianity, is kind of born out of Judaism, isn't it? With Jesus was born into the Jewish faith. And Judaism is very mixed views about what happens when you die. There were two schools of religious leaders in the time of Jesus, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees believed that death was a tragic end and that your spirit, your soul, would go to Sheol, which was this underworld place. The Greeks called it Hades. We might call it hell. And that was it. They didn't believe in anything, anything beyond that. 
The Pharisees, they believed in resurrection, but a spiritual resurrection, not a physical resurrection. So as I was thinking about this, okay, so what are the big questions that we all have about life beyond death, okay, about beyond the grave, what happens? And I wrote down just a few of the questions, okay? So here's some of the questions that we have. Is there a heaven and is there a hell? Who gets to go there? What about suicide? What about people who've never heard about Jesus? What about babies? Will there be some surprises in heaven? Will we get there and think, they're in? And where's so-and-so? Will there be some surprises? What will it be like? Will it be like one long worship service? Really hope not. Okay, I love worship services, but I hope that's not it. What about the language? What language will we speak in heaven? And will there be any privacy? For those of us that may be introverts this morning, you know, am I going to be with everybody forever? Will I never be able to get a little corner of heaven on my own? You know, that may be a question that you've got this morning. Will we know each other? Will we have new bodies? And what will that look like? Will there be pets there? Can people who are there see us now? Is it a place we go to or is it something that comes to earth? If you've been married more than once in this life, how's that going to work out? (laughs) Well, even talk about mother-in-laws, we're not even going to go there. If you're a young person, young people are fascinated with three big subjects. Life after death, sex, and the biggest question of all, will there be sex beyond the grave? Okay, so there's all these questions It's massive to do it justice in a morning. And what I thought would be the best way to do it, if you've got any of those questions or more, you know that our associate pastor, Dan Bennett, is leaving us at the end of the year. (laughs) So before the end of December, I'd like you to ask him all of those difficult questions. He would love to help you before he leaves us. Is that all right? But actually, what I thought I'd do this morning is rather than me talk a little bit, I'm going to introduce you to a couple of amazingly gifted Bible teachers who can say it far better than I can. These are two guys called John Altberg and Irving McManus. They're both American in fantastic churches uh, out in California. Here's a few of their thoughts and ideas just to get us thinking. Take a look. And intelligent folks have always understood that they refer to communities um, that involve a certain kind of person, um, that heaven is going to be a community that's characterized by servanthood and a desire to worship somebody besides me and humility and um, gratitude and and sacrifice and other-centeredness. And if I don't want to be a part of that kind of community, then I would not want to be a part of heaven. Heaven is an acquired taste. Um, Heaven is the kind of place where lots of people would not want to be. Do you believe that hell is a place of endless torment and suffering? Yeah, and I'm not really thrilled about that uh, prospect. And, and a part of the reason is because uh, maybe I have a background uh, theology. You know, I live in Los Angeles, and, um, and one of the things that um, we kind of have is a, an internal conversation is you've got to know the backstory. And a lot of times the, the, the scene doesn't make sense without the backstory. And even if you're working on a short film, it helps you if you actually know the backstory of the character because then you understand a lot more of what to bring into this moment. And so when you hear the idea that God would send people to hell, um, no, I mean, of course you're going to have a, a negative reaction to it and it would seem like it would be unfair. Uh, but I think the problem is backstory. I think for me, um, a part of my backstory is an understanding that the entire motivation of all creation is love. And that uh, God is um, the essence of love, that he is motivated by love, that all of his actions are um, entirely infused, informed uh, by love. 
that we are the creation of, uh, of his love. And one of the things I know about love is for love to exist, there has to be freedom. Hell sounds like a place of eternal torment, no matter how you cut the cake. Yes. And I believe that it is. I believe that the imagery that Jesus uses, although I think the physical imagery, in my opinion, he's not referring to physical pain that people will be experiencing. He's using, as the Bible often does, physical imagery to describe spiritual reality. Um, but in a sense, it is simply an extension of the reality that we experience in this life. Um, look at somebody who is selfish and then becomes increasingly selfish and then is consumed by selfishness. Have you ever known a thoroughly selfish, deeply joyful person? No. It has to do with the nature of character, with the relationship between virtue and joy that any time I go down the road of um, anti-virtue, any time I go down the road that is opposed to God's will for humankind, not only does it take me away from God, it takes me away from joy because there is no other road to joy. So you don't even have to believe in hell to see this. Take any one of um, those characters that is opposed to God's will for human life, greed, selfishness, arrogance, judgmentalism, Follow that all the way down and then ask yourself, have I ever seen somebody who is completely given over to this way of life and is a deeply contented, satisfied, joyful person? And you haven't. And then if you just extend that line out all the way, that's hell. Why in the world would you create human beings with free will, the capacity to choose? Why would you even create the possibility, the slightest possibility, that one human being could be eternally separated from God and his love and his life and spend eternity in this place called hell. The only reason to create even the potential of this kind of tragedy is love. Because for love to exist, there has to be freedom. And God's glory doesn't expand when people reject God, but love actually does expand. Because the wonderful thing about love is that love is actually more powerful when it's unrequited. I mean, when, when love is reciprocated, that love actually makes sense, it's reasonable. But when love is not returned and that love is still uh, as pure an act, in fact, love is actually magnified. And, and my understanding of why there's, one, the scriptures say that hell was not created for people, that hell was created for Satan and his angels. And so just from a good, hardcore Bible understanding, we know that God never created hell for people. And, and at the same time, what it tells us is that, uh, that God created us for love. And for love to exist, we have to freely choose Mm, lots of things to think about there. And you know, with all the questions about life beyond death, I don't want to deal with all this. The one question that I want to look at is this. I believe that there is life beyond the grave. The question I want us to look at this morning is, so what? So what? What impact does it make on my life and your life if we do believe that there is life beyond the grave? Okay? That death isn't the end, that there is life beyond we can get all caught up on what does it look like and who goes there and, what, and all of that stuff. And that's really important. But if we believe there is life after death, if we believe that the grave is not the end, the question I want us to think about is so what? So what? And there are two things that I want to share with you this morning. And it's basically the first one is this. Because there is life beyond the grave, we can live without fear. You know, the reality is that most people live with a deeply seated underlying fear about death. 
In fact, the old story goes that the preacher in church on a Sunday morning says uh, to the congregation, who would like to go to heaven? And everyone puts their hand up because they know that's the right answer, apart from this one little kid. And his dad says to him, why aren't you putting your hand up? And he says, I thought he was looking at trying to get a batch to go now. And he's like, I don't want to go now. You know, um, and there's something within us that says we believe it exists, but we're kind of unsure about it. But the Bible says that because there is life beyond the death, that actually that when we know that, we can live without fear. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 1 to 2, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you? I'm going to prepare a place for you. What we don't understand is that the words, that the imagery that Jesus uses there is wedding imagery. Okay? He talks about a funeral as if it's a wedding. In other words, in a Jewish wedding, what happens is that when the guy and the girl, when, the, when it's all agreed with the families that they're going to marry each other, the guy then goes home to his house and begins to prepare a home for his new bride. That's the imagery that Jesus uses when he speaks about death. So can you imagine that? So those of you that are married or have been married, you're walking down the aisle. That's not the end of it, is it? It's not the end of it. Those of you that are married, it's not. As you're walking down the aisle, there's a new hope. There's an anticipation. There's a new season. You're about to enter a new adventure in life together. That's the imagery that Jesus uses about death. And some of you immediately have equated your wedding with death. All right, Now, that's not what I meant to say. What Jesus is saying is that death is not the end. It's a new beginning. So don't fear. You don't have to fear. Because death is isn't the end. It's a new season. It's a new season. And I kind of love that. I love that. And there's a great couple of verses in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, where it says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, that's Jesus, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that's the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. In other words, the writer of Hebrews says this, because Jesus died and he went beyond the grave, he now has broken the curse of death and he can free anyone who lives in fear of death. That's good news, isn't it? None of us, if you're a Christian this morning, you do not have to fear death because death is not the end. It's just a new season. It's a new adventure. It's a new existence. It's like getting married. (laughs) It's like we're starting a new life with him. It's amazing. And our perspective, I believe, on death needs to change. You know, uh, 10 days ago, I, some of you know I had the privilege of uh, being invited by our MP to go down to London to spend uh, some time looking around the Houses of Parliament and then in number 10 Downing Street, actually sat in David Cameron's chair in uh, the cabinet, made a few changes uh, and all that kind of thing. This wallpaper's got to go, boys. Come on, this is terrible. But I had an amazing day, and I loved it. I was like a kid in a sweet shop because I love history. Uh, but what really impacted me was just the, the, the sense that we think that, that life is here and now, and it's really not. It's really not. And just that sense of gravitas and that sense of we went to the place, and, and the, the, the lady that was showing us around said, that's the place where Charles I sat when, when they tried him, and then they eventually executed him, our king. And then we went round into another room. That's where slavery was abolished. And then we went to another place in the entrance of the House of Commons. And there's a, ch- a statue of Churchill and David Lloyd George and, and the arch over above. And, and in the Second World War, when the Germans bombed us, uh, that collapsed. And Churchill said, I want you to take the rubble and I want you to use that rubble and build it into the arch so that every MP that ever goes into the House of Commons walks through the place which marks the sacrifice of our people in World War II. And I was like, come on. You know, this is just this amazing sense that life is, life is so short, but it's not the end. 
It's not the end. And we need a new perspective on death, which gives us a new perspective on how we're going to live our life. D.L. Moody was a famous American evangelist um, in the in 19th century. And he said this, Someday you'll read in the papers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. He says, At that moment I shall be more alive than I am right now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. We need a new perspective on death. We don't have to fear death, folks. If you know Christ, you don't have to fear death. You do not have to be held by the slavery and the fear of death. Death is not the end. There is life beyond the grave. Second thing I want to say is this, though. Because there is life beyond the grave, we can die and we can live with faith. We can die and we can live with faith. You see, there's life beyond death even in this life. There's life beyond death even in this life. What do I mean? Jesus says in John chapter 11, he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And what the Bible asserts is this, and Paul talks about it in Corinthians. I'm not going to read that now. But he talks about the fact that Jesus died and then was rose again three days later and people saw him. Not just one person, not just two people. And some of you are thinking, that's crazy. We don't believe that. They imagined it. It was a hallucination. They wanted to believe it. That could be true if it was one or two in a fixed location. But scientists who aren't even Christians will say it is impossible for 500 people to have the same hallucination. It is impossible for different people who see something in different times and places to have exactly the same hallucination. And what Paul says is that Jesus died. Jesus was resurrected. People saw him so that proves that when he said I am the resurrection the life he didn't just say it, he proved it amen he proved it and because so many people saw it and Paul says in fact I saw him as well he appeared to me so we know that Jesus broke through the barrier of the grave of death he went beyond the grave and because he went beyond the grave that also means that not only will we go on in eternity with him but we can also know resurrection life right now There is life beyond death in this life. And that's what I want to really share with you this morning. You see, there is life after the death of a marriage. There is life after the death of a loved one. There is life after the death of a job or a career or a hope or a dream or an aspiration or a longing. There is life after the death of a friend. There is life after the bankruptcy of a business. There is life after death now. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And that quote comes from a story in the book of John where, where Jesus uh, is, hears some news about the death of a really close friend of his called Lazarus. Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they were all very friendly with Jesus. And their home there in Bethany became a refuge for Jesus. And he hears news that his good friend Lazarus has died. And by the time he gets to the, to the scene, to, 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 to the village, um, that Lazarus has been dead for four days and he's in a tomb. But Jesus resurrects Lazarus and Lazarus comes out from the tomb and is alive again. And the whole story here is all meant not just to talk about life beyond death, but life beyond death in life as well. I believe Jesus is the resurrection of life, don't you? And I want to just share a few principles about this because it may be that you this morning, as you're coming up towards Christmas, there are some situations in your life and you say, do you know what, there's there's death here. Maybe it's not literal death of a loved one. Maybe it is the death of a marriage. Maybe it is the death of a relationship. Maybe it is the death of a business or whatever. 
And you feel actually you could never really experience life again. You can't go beyond the grave of that situation. But I want to say to you, you can. You can. And there are some principles from this story. The first thing is we need hope. Uh, And Jesus brings words of hope when he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And Martha says, yes, I know you are at the end of time. I I know that will happen in the future, but he's dead now. And he says, no, no, not just then, but now I am the resurrection and the life. We need some hope. But we also need to be real. In verse 34, Jesus says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied. So they go to the tomb. They actually look at the situation. They're real about it. They don't pretend. They don't deny. They don't try and be all super positive. Like, like I'm not ill when you are, because that's denial. You know that, don't you? That's what that is. But they go and they look at the situation full on and say, he's dead. He's in that tomb. So they need hope, but they're real. That's really important. But then the next thing is we need to do what we can do. Because in verse 36, Jesus says, take away the stone. In other words, stop being passive. And I wonder how many of us this morning, in our life, in our situation, there's been a death of something or someone. And what we can end up doing is becoming incredibly passive about life. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, do what you can do. I'll do what you can't. You have to move the stone because you can do that. But in terms of the resurrection of life, you can't do that, only I can do that. But you do what you can do, and I'll do what you can't. And maybe this morning, and I, and I want to say this pastorally and lovingly, maybe this morning, you need to hear this word, that it is time for you to do what you can do and to stop being passive, because there is life beyond death, even in this life. You can live beyond the death. You can live beyond the grave, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But we need to look in the right direction. Verse 41, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. You know, when when we look at a situation in our life and we think, okay, something or someone has died, it's very easy to keep looking in that direction all the time. And I understand that. But there comes a time when we've got to look in a different direction. Jesus looked up. We've got to look up and then we've got to look forward because life is for living. Regardless of what has happened, life is for living. And we've got to look in a new direction. But then also, we need to speak sometimes to the situation that has caused us death. When he had said this, verse 43, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't believe in in the kind of positive confession that, that goes to the extreme and says, you name it, you claim it and all that. I don't believe in that to the extreme. But sometimes in our death situations, we've listened to the situation speaking to us way too much. Sometimes we need to flip it around and start speaking to the situation. And we need to say, listen, I can't change what's happened. Nobody can change what's happened. Not even God will necessarily change what's happened. But I tell you what, I'm not going to listen to this situation speaking to me any longer. I'm going to start speaking to it. And when we make that shift, we then discover that he is the resurrection and the life. And it is possible to live beyond the grave. And the final thing is this, we need to move on and we need to live. Nothing will change what's happened, but there is life beyond the grave. If you've had a marriage that's died, there is life beyond it. If you've lost a loved one, there is life beyond it. If you've lost a job or a dream or a career or a hope or an aspiration or a longing, there is life beyond it. You can move on and you can live. And then when Lazarus comes out and he's resurrected, but but he's covered in all the grave clothes. And the Bible says, Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. In other words, take off all those bits of the death and the past and move on. Move on and live. And I want to ask the band to come back up. And maybe this morning, you know, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. And you might think, oh, we did communion two weeks ago. Yeah, we did. And we're going to do it again. 
Because actually I want to explain to you this morning, for those of you that may not be aware of why we take communion and why it is so important to us in our Christian faith. Why it's actually central to who we are. We don't take it every week and there are reasons for that. But when we do take it, it anchors us into the centrality of who we are. Our hope is in the resurrection and the life. Amen. But you know, before we do that, if you could play, Gareth, maybe there are some of you here this morning and actually you're not yet a Christian. You wouldn't say that you put your faith and your trust in Him. And maybe you sat there and you're thinking, I'm not sure about all this life after death stuff. Maybe you think that when you die, that is the end. And we've got it completely wrong. Here's my thought. Maybe you're right, but maybe you're wrong. And if you're wrong, like I said in the video, the decisions you make now will traject out on into eternity. Why wouldn't they? God gives us free will and free choice. And if I want to spend my eternity with God, I make that choice because God loves me too much to make it for me. So I make that choice now and that trajects out on into eternity. If I don't, that's my choice. And a loving God would not override my choice and my free will. So maybe this morning you're not yet a Christian and you thought to yourself, do you know what? Maybe it is true. I don't know. I'm not asking you to accept it all right now, but maybe what you could do is you could say, but you know what? I'm at least going to try and find out. I'm at least going to explore the possibility that I may be wrong and that may be right. If you do that, that could lead you to the most important decision you will ever, ever make. That won't only affect your life now, but for eternity. Maybe that's you. But maybe this morning you are a Christian, but actually you'd never admit this in your life group because you think everyone will look funny at you. But actually, you live with a fear of death. I think many of us do. We really do. We don't talk about it. We try and hide it. But many of us deep down have a deep-seated fear about death. Maybe this morning you could begin to open your hands and say, God, I want to let this fear go. You are the resurrection of life. I don't want to live bound by fear any longer. I want to let it go. And maybe this morning there are some of you and you have had a death in your life. Maybe a physical one, or maybe a marriage, or a relationship, or any of those other things I've said. And you desperately want to believe that there is life beyond death in this life. And maybe today, this morning, you could begin to say, God, if that's true, Lord, please give me some hope. Please help me to do what I can do. Please help me to look in a new direction. Please help me to begin to live, because life is for living. So I don't know whether that covers all of you or some of you, but I want to pray for some of you this morning. So can we just close our eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask some of you to be really brave today. Because this is a massively important message. For those of you that aren't yet a Christian, and you're saying, do you know what? Maybe, maybe even right now, oh, maybe even right now you want to say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to know you. Then everyone else got their eyes closed. Would you just put your hand up? And I want to pray for you this morning. So if you're not yet a Christian and this morning, You want to say, God, I want to know you. I want to ask you, just put your hand up to say, yes, God, I want to know you. I want to begin that journey towards you. Then I'd love to pray for you this morning. Okay. So for the rest of us, I want to ask you this question. Are you living with some fear right now? Or maybe there's some death in your life and you desperately want to believe 
that he is the resurrection and the life. And you say, God, I want to believe that. God, I need you to speak some hope into my situation. I want to live again beyond the grave now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand and I want to pray for you this morning. It's good. It's good. Just take some bravery and courage. Just you keep your hand up there. Father, I want to pray for all these fantastic people here right now. Whether they're living with fear or whether they're living with that death and desperately, desperately wanting life. God, I pray that you'd bring them hope today. God, like you did for Martha and for Mary, I pray you'd speak hope. I pray you'd speak about the fact that you are the God who has conquered the grave. Therefore, there is life beyond the grave, even in this life. So Lord, would you meet them, I pray, in Jesus' name. Would you fill them with courage and hope and your spirit. And even as we take communion today, I pray that we would take it with new hope, with new confidence, with a new sense of your life at work in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask the servers now if you could come and if you could start giving out the emblems. And basically what you're going to get is a piece of bread and a little cup of juice. Please don't eat it or drink it. Just hold on to it just for a moment. Is that okay? So I want to ask you just to hold on for for a moment because I want to explain to you why we do communion. It may be that you're not yet a Christian. Can I say to you, if you're not yet a Christian and you want to take it, go ahead. All right? Go ahead. You may have been in other churches where that's not been the way. That's fine. We all have different perspectives on this. Here, go ahead. If your trajectory is such that you're not sure there's a God, but you're walking and you're exploring, you're thinking, you go ahead. And why do we take communion? There are three different perspectives on communion that are all important. The first reason we take it is because of the past. We remember. We remember. The Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this, Jesus said, in remembrance of me. So when we eat and drink this morning, we're doing it and we're remembering back to what Jesus has done on the cross. How Jesus didn't only die, but he burst through the grave. He went beyond the grave. He was resurrected. And we look and we remember and we give thanks to him for that. But we also do it because of the future perspective. Not only do we remember, but we anticipate what he is going to do in the future. Again, Paul says in Corinthians, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember by looking back, but we anticipate and we look forward to that moment when Jesus will come again. Okay. And I don't know what all that he's going to do then, but I know it's going to be great. And it's going to be fantastic. And we anticipate all of that. But we also take communion, not just because of the past and not just because of the future, but also because of the present. Because this reminds us that this is speaking of the central aspect of our faith. We are Jesus people. That doesn't mean we wear slippers and flip-flops and have flowers in our hair. It means that everything about our life is about Jesus. You know, as a church, we do great stuff at this church. I believe this is a great church. But I tell you what, this church has only really got Jesus to give to our world. That's all we've got. And we, and we eat and drink and we celebrate and we remember and we anticipate. But we also anchor ourselves to the central fact that Jesus died, Jesus rose again. And by His Spirit, His life now lives in us. Paul says in the book of Galatians, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 
So in a moment, I'm going to encourage you, invite you to eat and to drink. When we do that, we're remembering back to what he's done and we're thankful and grateful. We're anticipating in the future what he's going to do with great hope. But we're also saying right now in the present, I'm not going to live in my own strength, but I'm going to live in the life and the spirit of Christ who lives in me. Amen. So while this is being given out, I'm going to ask Gemma and the band. They're going to sing just the first part of a hymn. It's a new song that some of you might not know. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to eat and drink together. And then we are going to celebrate because there is life beyond the grave.